In the summer of 2016, I did the sensible thing. I quit my cushy job at a hedge fund to write a play about my family's murder. I told my friends and family that this was about art, but in truth, I was on a spiritual vision quest. I was seeking closure to a relationship with someone that I barely knew, the kid who killed my mother and brother. He was my friend's younger brother, a kid from our neighborhood. He came over a handful of times to raid our family's snack cabinet. My mom actually used to wave to him from the van and say, he's going through a hard time. I just want to make sure he knows that I see him. He broke into our house a couple of days before Christmas, looking for some stuff to sell for cash. When he came across my brother Jim asleep on the couch, he panicked, shot him, and fled the scene. Then he realized he forgot his coat. By the time he came back, my mom had found Jim. Because he knew that she recognized him, and to quote him, because she wouldn't stop screaming, he shot and killed her too. He is currently serving back-to-back -back life sentences in a prison in southwestern Virginia. Most of us avoid forgiveness like the plague because we do not want to look at our wounds. Wounds are scary, they are nasty, they are icky. It is why most of us look away when we donate blood. It is way easier to take all of that emotion and channel it into rage at another person. And I gotta be honest with you, I say, do it. <laughs> Thought this would be about forgiveness, huh? <laughs> it's an important part of the process. Anger is important. It is the fire that cauterizes our wounds and lets them scar over and heal. Too much anger and yeah, you'll get third degree burns. But without a little bit of heat, you'll never scar over and you'll never know exactly what happened to you. And if you don't know what happened to you, you can't know what you're forgiving. Forgiveness is only right when waiting for what we're owed comes at too high a cost. What if I told you an easy way to reduce anxiety in life, maybe depression, An easy way to live a healthier life overall, and maybe even very possibly a longer life. Would you be interested in knowing what that is? I would be. So what is that thing, Jason? That, what is it that we can do? What's this simple thing in our lives that we can do that can help reduce anxiety, depression, live longer lives, be a healthier person? What is it? You forgive. You choose to forgive. I was talking to Dr. Don this week, and it was a great article in a medical journal. And it said, research has shown that forgiveness is linked to mental health outcomes, such as reduced anxiety, depression, major psychiatric disorders, as well as with fewer physical health symptoms and lower mortality rates. We know chronic stress is bad for our health. Forgiveness allows you to let go of the chronic interpersonal stressors that cause us undue burden. So what's an easy way to be a healthier person and live a longer life? Be a forgiving person. But it's not quite that easy, is it? It's not easy. I mean, it's one thing to say it. It's a whole other thing to do it, isn't it? Truth is, the tentacles of hurt and pain for many of us, especially when it's betrayal, 
can go deep. The roots are deep. In my garden at home, though, there's those weeds that you can just pick up and, and set aside. But then there's the other kind of weeds. Their roots seem to go much deeper. They're much harder. You've got you to gotta dig them out. You've got to pull a little bit harder. And for forgiveness, for some, that's what it's like. It can be hard. I was reminded this week of a man whose book I read years ago and I loved. His name was Simon Weisenthal. He was a Polish-born Jewish gentleman who was in a concentration camp during World War II. His primary job was to work in the, the local hospital where he removed human waste each day. Unexpectedly, one day, a young SS soldier near his death summons Weisenthal over suddenly. He says, come here. And he proceeds to confess some of the things he's done as an SS officer for the Nazi party. One of which he told a story of how they took 300 Jewish women and they, they locked them into the church and they lit that church on fire. And anyone who tried to escape through the windows or through the doors, they machine gunned them down. However, here at the end of his life, this German soldier was looking for forgiveness. His final words to Simon were, I, I know that what I'm asking is almost too much for you, but would you forgive me? Because without your answer, I cannot die in peace. Or Weisenthal, a combination of reasons, the just being in a concentration camp, doing what he's doing, the horrors of war, all those things going on at the moment could say nothing. He just left the room. And he would spend the majority of his life wrestling with, did I do the right thing? Well, should I have done at that time? All the hurts and the pains being lived out throughout his life. We could be quick to judge, but let me ask you what you would have done. How would you have reacted to that situation? Would you have forgiven the SS soldier at that moment? This teaching season we're in is just called Jesus. And the reason we did that is because it's really all about peeling back all the other stuff, whether that's history or layers of religiosity and human ideas, trying to peel it back and get back to the original gospel in Jesus. Who is this man? What is his message? And we've got a tough one to walk through today, and I'll tell you why, because one of the things in what I call the Americanized gospel we have to deal with is that we reduce salvation oftentimes down to simply that Jesus forgives me. And that is a part of the gospel, and it's a wonderful part of the gospel. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven. But how many of you have learned the gospel's a little bigger than that, too? There's a little more to it. See, when we reduce it down simply to that, that Jesus just forgives me, we miss the bigger challenge of him calling us to life transformation and to become a light in the world. We miss the new birth. When we reduce salvation down in our Americanized gospel, and I get it, man. In America, we like our, we like our religion like we like our fast food. Give me a number one. You know what I mean? 
I just want to order it and I want to move on. Give me the simple answer. But it's not as simple as we reduce it down to sometimes. It is not say a prayer and go to heaven. Because that version ends up being transactional. It's all about what God did for me. But in no way is a challenge for me to live out the way of Christ in the world. Forgiveness is more than just what Jesus does for me. And when we reduce it down to say a prayer, go to heaven, what we end up getting is this gospel that says, listen, my sins are forgiven, so my job is primarily just to sit around, be a decent person until I die or Jesus comes back. And i got to ask you, does that sound like good news to you? It's got to be a little more than that, right? Where is the transformed life? Where is living out a powerful life with the Holy Spirit indwelling us? Where is faith? in that equation. And the problem is, there are too many Christians out there who are forgiven, but they have never been set free. They're forgiven, but they're still living their old life. They've never been set free from the old hurts and pains, the addictions, the bad habits, but they're forgiven. They believe that they're heaven-bound, but they have absolutely no relationship with God. And the truth is they're filling their life with all kinds of worldly things and earthly pleasures rather than being filled with the Holy Spirit and living powerfully in the world around us. We have a half gospel. Make anybody uncomfortable yet? Because I'm guessing, you know, there's a few that are like, weren't you on vacation for a couple weeks? (laughs) I hear Hawaii's pretty nice this time of year. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) You're stomping on my toes a little bit here, Pastor. We're just getting started. Hang tight. You know what's interesting is I did a word search in the last week. I'd never done this before. Um, Just searching through the first four books of the New Testament. We call those the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I searched for forgive or forgiveness. And when I did that, 17 verses appear in that. And in those 17 uh, verses, uh, what is interesting is 13 of them are more about you forgiving others than they are Christ forgiving you, which may surprise you. It would appear, according to the Gospels, Jesus spent more time teaching us how to forgive others than explaining to us how he forgave us. And we've got to grab hold of that because you know what? He used some really strong language, some tough stuff. So we check out the the book of Matthew. Maybe he'll make it a little bit easier. And what does he say in Matthew? He says, well, if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive you your sins. Well, that didn't make it easier. Maybe Mark will let us off the hook a little bit. What's Mark say? He says, "When when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. Why? So that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. Well, that doesn't make me feel good. Maybe Luke. Do not judge and you will not be judged. I like that. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pretty cool too. Been nice if he'd ended there. (laughs) Forgive and you will be forgiven. Forgiven. Well, that leaves us with one guy left here, maybe John. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. But if you do not forgive, 
they are not forgiven. Are you noticing a pattern here? Seeing a trend? Our forgiveness, according to Jesus, appears to be connected to our ability to forgive others. Directly connected. And for some of you, I get it, you're like, I don't recall hearing this growing up. But those are the words. And the reality is, for those of us who call ourselves the followers of Jesus Christ, who have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, you have been given a supernatural power. And that power is to radically forgive. And Jesus Christ expects you to use that superpower to let other people go. you got a superpower. It's called forgiveness. And Jesus absolutely expects you to use it. And man, I get it. I've heard the arguments for years. Someone, this, this, this can make certain people get kind of angry. They even push back. They say, wait a minute, pastor. I've read other verses in the Bible, and it said that all I needed to do was pray, and, and I'll be forgiven. I mean, after all, 1 John 1.9, that's a verse many of us know. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pastor, it says that all I have to do is pray. He'll forgive me. It doesn't say anything about me needing to pray someone else or, or forgive someone else. But what happens when we flip the page in our Bible to chapter 2 of 1 John? It's a pesky little verse there that happens to be one of my favorite in the entire Bible. 1 John 2.6, whoever claims to live in him, that's Jesus, must live as Jesus did. And guess what Jesus did? Let me hear it. He forgave. That's right. For those who claim to be in Christ... They must do the things that Christ did. And one of those things is Jesus forgave. In fact, let me get a little tougher, and we'll just stay in that chapter in 1 John. Let's go about five verses later, and what does he say? 1 John 2.11, he says, Anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And let me tell you this, I mean this with all my heart. When you fail to forgive someone else, it is a form of hate. It is definitely not loving. Because when you fail to forgive someone else, you're still trying to have control of the situation. It is not unconditional love. You are getting revenge and you're destroying the relationship. None of that is loving. None of it is loving. Your failure to forgive is an expression of hate towards someone else. And Jesus is saying in here, how can you expect your heavenly father to forgive you if you're not going to forgive others? I mean, let's get real. Are your sins better than theirs? I mean, if we're being honest, some of us are like, you know what? You know, God's going to make an exception for me. Not you, though. And eight billion people in this world, I am somehow more special than anyone else. And, and you grasp that and the humility of that. Do you suddenly understand how insidious failing to forgive someone can be? In fact, I'll just flat out say it. It's evil. It's evil. It is the work of Satan. The power of Christ is in unconditional forgiveness. 
And when we have a gospel that's presented like say a prayer and your sins are forgiven, you'll go to heaven, it doesn't match exactly what Jesus says. It's a half gospel because he continually pointed us with the conditional belief that you had to forgive others as well. You forgive because you have been forgiven. And remember, the gospel, at its core, Jesus' message was repent and believe. What does repent mean? Repent means change direction. You were going one way, now go this way. You were living like this, now live like a person in the kingdom. You sought revenge, you now forgive. We no longer live like the world. And I know what the second pushback is. I've been doing this a while. Pastor, I thought it was all about grace. Isn't it all about grace, Pastor? I've heard that many times. In fact, there was a church I served in for a few years. That was actually a mural on the wall when you came in on the sun door. It just said, it's all about grace. And that sounds great. But is the gospel all about grace? Take a deep breath with me. No. It's not all about grace. Although grace is an amazing gift that is part of the gospel. But when we go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, what does it tell us? It is by what? Grace. Right, that you have been saved. Now, in my Bible, after saved is a comma, not a period. So the sentence doesn't end there. It is by grace you've been saved through what? Faith. Faith. That's why earlier you can't just take one verse in the Bible and say that's my entire theology. And that's why here you can't just reduce the gospel down to grace only. It is by grace through faith. And what do we know about faith? Faith without works is dead. You see, faith is more than just believing. Yes, there's a piece of faith that's believing in God, but it also involves trusting that his promises are true. And in that trust, it should result in obedience. Our actions should match our theology. We are called to be forgiving people. And yes, grace, it's an amazing thing. It really is. Unmerited favor. But the problem is, is we reduce the gospel down to just a grace-based only gospel. What we end up getting is a bunch of Christians who are forgiven, but they still live like the devil. Because it doesn't really matter how I live. God's going to just forgive me. And we're not called to live that way. You see, faith has to do with aligning your efforts we talk about works, there's, there's two different things. There's aligning efforts and there's works. And, and sometimes we have to weed through that a little bit in, in, the, in the topic there, but they're two very different things. See, the result of a life that's been transformed in Jesus Christ is a life who is aligning its efforts towards God's things. And what happens when we align our lives and our very being that has been transformed to become more like Jesus Christ with the things that Jesus does? We produce fruit. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because apple trees produce apples. The other kind of works, though, is about trying to earn. And that's what Paul's talking about a little bit in the verses before this. And you have to know you cannot earn God's grace. You cannot earn salvation by works. You cannot impress God. 
in your narcissistic belief that you're somehow charming, you cannot charm God. It is by this supernatural act of unmerited favor of grace and faith where we align our efforts with him that we are saved. It is grace through faith. And listen, the last thing you have to know about grace is this. You have been shown grace to give grace, period. The gift of grace was given to you to be given to others. It is not a gift for you to hide underneath a cover. It is a light that is meant to be shown to the world. 'Forgiveness is about canceling the debt. That person whose debt you're canceling, they owe you nothing. It is removing all expectations and all terms. There are no terms and conditions to forgiveness. You expect nothing from that person and you cancel the debt. Why? Because it's grace. You just cancel it. I know this is tough today. I know this is a tough sermon. We, we would much rather love to sit here and just, Jason, would you for 20 minutes just tell me how much Jesus loves me and died for my sins? And he does. But this is that tougher side of forgiveness we have to talk to. And the reason I'm being tough is this. Please hear me, because I talk to people all the time. I have seen way too many Christians get stuck in their journey because they refuse to forgive somebody else. And it will get you stuck in the mud when you hang on to bitterness, cynicism, and refuse to forgive and cancel the debt for another person. It will stop you in your tracks. And I'm not trying to make light of whatever situation you're working in. I realize forgiveness is different for everybody. Every circumstance is different. I realize that some are more difficult, like that SS officer or this young lady that we see in the video that we'll hear from in a minute. There are some forgiveness situations out there that require time, they require professional counseling, and they require a community of people to come around them and help. I get that. But what I'm trying to do today is to get your trajectory to move from hardening your heart and refusing to forgive to at least, at least be willing to say, I can move towards forgiveness. I can walk this way. If Jesus did it for me, I can do it for them. I'm hoping to break through what for some of you has become an absolute wall in your growth because you refuse to let it down. Forgiveness is that important. I'm trying to point out how important forgiveness is not only to your soul, but to your personal health as well and to your relationship with God. And the most important thing is I'm trying to move some of you out of having a victim mentality, which is what happens when you fail to forgive, and move you towards victory and freedom. You are not victims, and Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead to create a group of victims. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ, and there is a resurrection power that you can have in your life that lives in freedom. Amen? Please hear me on this if you missed anything 
or all of it today, will you hear this? And it's tough. But when you refuse to forgive and you harden your heart, you make a mockery of the cross. Because what you're saying is, Jesus died for me, but not necessarily for you. You know what I mean? Forgiveness is available for me, but I'll be darned if I'm going to forgive you. And we make a mockery of the cross. In the end, we think we're hurting others, but we're just destroying ourselves, and we're destroying our relationship with God. And so I just ask you this question. Who do you need to forgive? Watch this with me. So I stepped away from Google, and I didn't ask any more questions, and I wrote him a letter. I tore unused pages out of my mom's journals, actually, and I wrote. I told him that what happened on December 19th, 2008, was not okay and would probably never be okay for either of us. But just because it wasn't okay, that didn't mean he owed me anything. Not an apology, not an explanation, not his role as my villain. I told him that I hated to be reduced to one thing that happened to me one day. I yearned to be more, to be whole. And I didn't think that I could do that if I looked at another person and reduced him to one thing he did one day and made evil the sum of his parts. I told him that I wished him a lifetime full of healing and that I forgave him. And then without thinking, I plopped that letter into a mailbox on the corner of Flatbush Avenue and Church. For the first 10 steps, there was this lightness of being. And then that lightness started to feel like the lurch in your stomach when you hit a spiritual tripwire. My chest unwound, it burst, and suddenly, I was alone with myself. I mean, really alone, giving birth to a stranger, saying hello to a girl that I hadn't spoken to in seven years. Sometimes I miss him. <laughs> Not him, the monster that I created. Things were a lot harsher in black and white, but they were a lot simpler when I had a villain to fight and more familiar. As long as he was around, Mom and Jim were never that far away. They were characters just off stage, waiting in the wings, the rest of us on stage talking about them. But my story was about the three of them, always. To get free, I had to get clear on exactly what contract I was shredding. But once I did that, I found myself alone, center stage, in the spotlight, with endless possibilities. <laughs> 